Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. Did you miss me, motherfuckers? Probably not, because if you're listening to this, it might be in the midst of other series that you're running through in the year 2045, when I'm 65 years old and I'm still looking like fucking Billy D. Williams on steroids, just like beautiful and supple. Can men be supple? I feel supple. Anyway beautiful and supple and and just firm and just perfect and it's all me no surgery needed no future work done just me and my beloved wife Nisha living our best life while you're listening to this book this book look this book is fully Nisha's fault I just want to make sure that's said from the gate. Like, there should be no surprises about this. My beloved wife is, like, the fucking best. Oh, yeah, by the way, fuck y'all motherfuckers. I'm in the building. Plus, we get the cuts on this shit. No more kids books for another month or so. So I'm about to get legitly deep in the cussing, motherfuckers. What you bitches been up to? And you goobers and y'all niggas and y'all busters. Y'all can't fuck with this brother. I'm so happy I'm in the building. What the fuck have you been doing? Suck a dick, eat an asshole, eat a pussy, lick a clit. Kids, if you're listening to this, get the fuck out. Christians, if you're listening to this, hallelujah. Catholics, if you're listening to this, y'all kneel way too fucking much to not suck a dick. I mean, honestly, y'all literally have little things on the back of your pews for kneeling. But y'all say y'all don't suck a dick. Okay. Anyhow, this book is fully my wife's fault. My beloved wife, Nisha, who literally in the realms of history can do wrong, but she's so fucking beautiful to decide. And she's so fucking excellent and awesome and just brilliant. Like, do you know how hard it is to become a nurse? It's hard out here for a pimp. Like, and to do it with just ease and just effortless, just je ne sais quoi, just I don't know what, that it is just, ah. But she fucked up this time. So let me tell you a little story of how this book came about. Because y'all are like, we're two minutes into this shit. And you've been cussing me out and talking about dicks and Catholics and shit. Can we discuss the book, please, Derek? Yes, niggas, white people, Eritreans, Asians. Yes, we can. I'm like the Barack Obama slogan of uh, 2016. 
wait, he lost 2016. He wasn't, he was done. I, I meant, I meant 2014. See, I'm old and this is 2045. Like, stop. Yes, we can, niggas. We can talk about how we got here. You white people are probably, probably all of us, because Paramount's fucking dope. How did we get here? I mean, honestly, if you got to talk about Paramore, you got to talk about the song Ain't It Fun where you kick your kids the fuck out when they turn 29 and they're still not looking for their own spot. But I was minding my own business during my off season, being me, being Derek, being cool, chilling, might have been scratching my dick, playing video games thinking about jacking off but I didn't have to jack off because my wife showed up so I was like cool my wife is here now I don't have to jack off and then she came in and she fucked me but not coitally she came in from getting her hair done and just looking spec fucking tacular just oh my god and was like hey my nigga I was reading a book while I was getting my hair done and I think you should read it for Ratchet Book Club and I was looking at her with her hair looking all dead and pressed to the gods and just laid laid and remember I was thinking about jacking off at that point in time so I was really ready for it so I was like whatever you want I was like yo you can get it and this book can get it whatever book you talking about let's discuss it in bed like let's 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 talk dirty Let's let's talk. Let's get filthy. Tell me what was on page six. But she was like, yeah, I was getting my hair done. And I was reading this book and it was really good. And I think you should read it for Ratchet Book Club. And I was like, all right, cool. Boom, let's do it. And then this nigga is like, I only read the first six pages. Wait, what? You only read the first six pages, but it was so fucking good. And I think you should read it for Ratchet Book Club. And I think it's a series. These do not. This is not a good start. This is not a good sign, my nigga. This is not a good. Yes, I call my wife my nigga. Like if your wife or your spouse or your significant other is not your best friend. White folks, y'all can't do it anyway. So fuck it. But not fuck the butt but, <laughs> but you know what I mean so she's like yeah and that was strike one she was like yeah, I only read like six pages but it was really good I really liked it and you should really read it for Ratchet Book Club and I was like uh and you don't stop um okay fine what's the what what what's the book and she was like it's written by somebody who who you've already read before and I was like oh okay um Lady Lisa um Rowett Dahl um, Louis Sacker, uh, the motherfucker who fucked around and made that fucking bridge of Terabithia bullshit. This nigga looked at me with her big, beautiful eyes and her wonderful, just glowing smile and said, Ashley. Ashley who? Because, you know, I'm scarred now. I, I got, I have war scars from what I've been through. And so you're going to have to use the full name, boo. And she was like, I don't know her full name unless her full name is Ashley and Jaquavis. And that's when we got divorced. <laughs> so my, 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 my beloved wife being a sound mind and body and absolute brilliance and beauty and all that kind of stuff sat down for 
is six hours getting her hair done, laid to the gods. Hashtag look great, look good. And read eight pages of a book by Ashley from the cartel. It's a new series for us. It's not new. She's got a whole series of it. So yes, we're back in the fucking, we're back. It's a series about a guy who's a drug dealer who goes straight and finds love, I guess. I don't fucking know. Every Ashley and Jaquavis book goes the same fucking way. And the guy's name is the title of the book. And so with no further ado, we're going to begin this book by Ashley Antoinette. New York Times bestseller. I still don't get it. For my wife, I present to y'all Ethic. That's the nigga's name. The nigga's name is Ethic. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I don't get it either. I don't understand how the nigga's name is Ethic. Like, not ethics. Not ethical. Not ethical. Not eth. Just ethic. So, does this mean the nigga's got work ethic? Or does this mean that he has one thing that he has ethic about? How do you get the nickname Ethic? I have a million questions. We're going to find out together, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of my beloved wife, I am going to read this. If I don't fucking like it, we will complete the series, but it's going to take another 19 years. Because I'm going to take my time. <sighs> With no further ado, Ashley Antoinette's oh, 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 Sorry, I dry heat. Oh, my God. Oh, oh shit. Uh, at Ashley Antoinette's Ethic. The sound of crickets serenaded the cemetery as Ethic sat on the white blanket, his knees up, his arms wrapped around him as he clasped his wrist with one hand while digging his heels into the ground. He watched his two children read as they leaned against her headstone. I'm saying her like that because it's in italics, so her headstone. I am a little black king. I can do any his son, Ezra, paused as he looked up at Ethic. Dad, what's this word? He asked as he turned the book towards Ethic. Anything, Ethic confirmed. Try the sentence again. I am a little black king. I can do anything, his son read. That's not how that fucking works. 
Black parents, y'all already know that is not how it happens. It's not that fucking easy. There's a lot more screaming and threatening to make that shit happen. Y'all are fucking horrible when it comes to helping your kids read a book. I'm a little black king. I can do... Sound it out. There's an A in it. Sound it out. Um, egg. Um, Albert Einstein. No, it's it's in. You see the a n y. What sound does that make? Nigga, it don't make a sound. Who you calling nigga? Oops, I fucked up. E. It's in. 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 Thing. Which honestly, how old is this fucking kid? He's reading Little, Black, and King. So he's got colors. He's got uh, two-syllable words down. And he already said any. So why would he stop in the middle and be like, what's that word again? Oh, fuck it, I'm back. So I hope they make him read it again later on and he fucks it up again. And his dad's like, it's the word you just fucking read like 30 minutes ago. Because that's how parents get down with their kids. Especially somebody who only got one ethic I'm a little black king I can do anything his son read I'm a little black king I can do anything sometimes I stop and sing I'm a grass that ring cause I shine 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 I'm a little black king. The world is mine, 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 but I can't fucking read. Good job, Easy, Bella coached, affectionately calling him by his nickname as she looked up from her Harry Potter book, Transphobic. Keep reading, Ethic urged. Your mom wants to hear you finish the entire thing. It was their thing. It was how they stayed connected to the beautiful Raven Atkins. Although Raven wasn't Bella's mother, Bella was used to the routine. Her own mother had died when she was just a baby, and Ethic had started the practice with her. On the first of every month, they went to the cemetery and visited both graves, taking a blanket, a basket of food, and books in tow. It was how they stayed close to one another, and to those they had lost. It was always a hard day for Ethic, but it made it easier for his kids, so he did it faithfully, never missing this time with them. Ethic was a cursed man, falling in love with two women and losing them both tragically. Yes, this is the first book. Apparently, she started writing about Ethic in 2009 in another, another, another book, and people loved Ethic so fucking much that she decided to make a book about Ethic. It's like y'all niggas in Stringer Bell. Yeah, one nigga in a small thing becomes such a fucking icon that y'all forget that he was a punk motherfucker. He was probably a punk motherfucker in his book too. But he had ethic. It seemed like death followed him wherever he went. So, (laughs) ethic had been so guarded and secluded since Raven's passing. He had tried to find someone to fill the void. Only one woman had piqued his interest over the years and he had met her by chance. Desiah Morgan. She had been a great distraction from the pain, but she hadn't been fully available to love him. 
She had a situation of her own that she couldn't abandon, thus leaving him alone to mourn a ghost that no one could compare to. I mean, he's tried. It's been seven hours and 16 days since you took your love away. Oh, I don't know the rest of what I should say because I mumble until I get to the chorus like this. Cause nothing compares Nothing compares to you Prince wrote that A white woman took it Became famous off it True story the sun began to set, illuminating the cemetery in an orange hue, letting him know their day was coming to an end. You mean they've been there all day? Let's pack up, Ethic said, as he watched his children climb to their feet. Put everything in the car. I'll be there soon, he told them. He watched them walk towards his Range Rover to set a few yards away, and then he knelt in front of Raven's headstone. I miss the shit out of you, Ray. Every day. Every moment. You're a hard act to follow. He placed the... I fucking hate that word. He placed the bouquet of... No, I only hate it when she does it. Or when they do it. He placed the bouquet of flowers he held directly in front of her headstone. He placed the bouquet of flowers he held directly in front of her headstone. Okay. Kissing his fingers, he placed them to her name. Until next time, love. Rest up. Mm. Two. Mm. Yeah. Peace sign. Mm. That's how I show my love. I do it to my wife and I'm telling her to be quiet. I, I kiss my fingers and then I run them down her lips. So her bottom lip folds down and then I give her the LL Cool J lip lick. Mm. Ethic blinked away his emotion and swiped his hands over his face. When he stood, all traces of vulnerability were erased from his expression. He never exposed his melancholy to his children. He stuffed his hands in the pockets of his hoodie as he headed back to his car. They drove through the city, a place he both loved and hated. Flint, Michigan was home. Within the perimeter of the city, Ethic was a crown king. It wasn't a title he boasted proudly. He didn't particularly like the reputation at all. Claims like that are what led to the downfall of a lot of men before him, so he let the hood whisper, without ever verifying anything. His younger years of mobbing through the city as Benjamin Atkins' lieutenant had earned him a reputation. No one knew that he was, actually, Benjamin's connect. He made the streets freeze with the snow he brought to town, but that was a long time ago. He never liked the limelight that came with the game. He liked the boogie. He liked the disco and ah! He preferred to get money quietly, which is why he allowed people to think that Benny Atkins had been the man on top. Even now, when he was trying to walk a straight line to keep his hands clean, his exit from the gang was never acknowledged. 
He had turned in his walking papers, but still, the game wouldn't leave him alone. His breed of hustle was rare, and the young ones admired him. Often, doing whatever it took just to be in ethics good graces. Wait, what? That's... that. That's all one connected thing. It should have been a, a, a semicolon if it's going to be... If, it, if you want to be two sentences, that could have been a semicolon. So then it read as... His breed of hustle was rare, and the young ones admired him, often doing whatever it took just to be in Ethic's good graces. See how that worked. Ethic disguised the wealth he had made in a distribution trucking company, several automotive repair shops. See, I was wondering, between Ashley and Jaquavis, I was wondering who made the, the errors, the typographical errors, the punctuation errors. And now I see it's her. It might be both of them, but right now it's her. Commas, for no reason, we're back. Ethic disguised the wealth he made in a distribution trucking company, several automotive repair shops, and other real estate investments throughout the Midwest, but he hadn't been able to truly rid himself of the reputation he had rightfully earned. At 34 years old, his priorities had changed and the risks that came with the lifestyle were no longer worth it to him. As Ethic's strong hand gripped the expensive leather of his Range Rover, he studied the streets he used to rule. They had changed over the years. Businesses had tanked, causing the former gold mine to become a ghost town where there was no code of conduct. The rules had evolved, and the players had revolved to what was now an all-out war zone. Revolved? The, and the players had the rules had evolved and the players had revolved to what was now an all-out war zone what does that mean the, the rules had evolved and the players had revolved they spun around to what was now an all-out war zone I don't understand what that's supposed to mean <sighs> Flint wasn't the same, and he did 80 miles per hour to get his children out of the city limits and back to the suburbs where he could keep them safe. Flint was where the lawless reigned. He wanted his children to know nothing of that part of his life. Ethic peered into his back seat as Bella read her book and easy transitioned to his handheld video game. His children didn't have a care in the world. They were his reasons for flying straight, and the smiles on her face reminded them that there are only constants that mattered. He tucked his turmoil away, as if it was an old piece of clothing that he could put in the back of his closet and forget about. He couldn't dwell on his feelings. That was what women did. Sulking about what he couldn't have wouldn't do anything but keep him stagnant. As he pulled into the driveway to his home, he noticed a C-Class Benz that was parked curbside. He sighed as he threw his Range Rover in park. He almost didn't want to get out. He didn't have the energy to put up the charade with a beautiful woman, waiting faithfully for him in her car. She was always there, waiting, hoping that he would choose her, and although they had been on and off for years, he never settled down. She was never his pick. Dulce was just someone warm to lay next to, sometimes, on the cold Michigan nights. As he processed the empty feelings that weighed on him, he couldn't help but feel a bit of guilt about the way he handled her. Do I give her this feeling? Is her loneliness caused by me? He thought. So, is her loneliness caused by me has a question mark after it, not a comma? 
So, you know, he thought is his own is, is its own sentence. So do I give her this feeling? Is her loneliness caused by me? He thought, you know. What torture the world would be if hurt was just one big cycle? What? Okay, I'm gonna let that one play out for a second. What torture the world would be if hurt was just one big cycle? Were men and women going around loving the ones they can never have and neglecting the ones right in front of them? Damn, ethic thought. His mind was complex. Nigga, you think that's a complex thought? You think that's deep? Nigga, you get kicked out the barbershop with that bullshit. That ain't nothing. Man, what torture the world would be if Hurt was just one big cycle, right? Like, yo, yo, check this out. Were men and women going around loving the ones they could never have and neglecting the ones right in front of them? Ooh. If you don't get the fuck out of my chair, sir, this an Arby's. The smallest notion could leave him reeling as he dissected the possibilities of its merit. The smallest notion, like the smallest thought he has, leaves his mind reeling. That ain't deep. You're stupid. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Love was one of those puzzles that left him exhausted and frustrated. He just could not solve it. Hey, you, Dolce said as he stepped out of his car. Ethic took his time replying. He took his time doing everything. The world seemed to wait with bated breath as it anticipated his next move. He paused because he knew it would be easy to deflect what he was going through onto her. Her unannounced visit had thrown him. Her unrequested presence annoyed him, but he had to ask himself if the slim, leggy woman with an inviting smile and wanting eyes would have irritated him if he hadn't just come back from visiting the gray side of the love of his life. I wasn't expecting you, he said, his tone even, as he opened the back door of his car. Bella bounced out. Hey, Dulce, she greeted, before running across a massive lawn to Ethic's home, heading for the front door. Ethic reached down to grab Easy, who was dead weight in his strong arms. I thought you would need a good meal and some good company, Dulce said, as she held up the single, plastic grocery bag she carried. Ethic wondered why he found it hard to take her seriously. She was a decent woman who offered something convenient. It may not be everything he required in a woman, but at least she was there. At least she put him above all else. When she bit into her bottom lip and added, And I need some good. She let her words linger, and it wasn't hard to fill in the blanks. Ethics sighed as he remembered why she just didn't do it for him. She was too available, too easy, too much like a replica of every woman he crossed paths with these days. Her weave was long. Her waist was unrealistically shaped. Her ass too fat. Pull over that ass too fat. Woo, woo. Her brain too empty, he thought. Nigga, you are literally fascinated by the smallest notion. It leaves you reeling, if I recall correctly. This woman is bringing you food and taking time out to love on you. And you're repulsed because she reminds you of every other woman that you know out there on the block. Hmm. Every woman you cross paths with these days. And why are you talking to her then? 
Why don't y'all just learn to say, you know what? It is this ain't it. This ain't it for us. He would rather appreciate the value in a dinged up quarter than accept a shiny penny. Dulce was shining, but her worth was insignificant. He took the plastic bag from her hand, holding his heavy child with one strong arm and the groceries in the other. Despite his lack of enthusiasm regarding her presence, he was still a gentleman. There were no thrills in causing her embarrassment. He nodded his head towards the house. I'm a little tired, but dinner I can do, he said. Just the mere thought of being in his space, under his roof, at his dinner table, put a hope in her eyes that Ethic hated, because he knew he would never give her the more she sought. He walked into his home, eager to see the face of his oldest child, Morgan. She looked so much like Raven, he often found a sense of peace just from the mesmerizing beauty in her amber eyes. It was like Raven had left a piece of herself buried deep inside of her little sister, and she was growing up to look just like Raven. In the eyes of the law, and by the decree of the adoption papers, Ethic was Morgan's father, but he was truly her big brother. Wait, what? So this is Raven's little sister, who he took in after she died, and adopted. Oh, okay. I guess, I mean, okay. He could never, and had never tried to take the place of Benjamin Atkins. But he would take care of Morgan with unconditional love, as long as air filled his lungs. She had made it a challenge every step of the way, however, and today was one of those days. Where's Morgan? he asked Bella, who came racing down the stairs. She's not in her room, Bella shrugged. Where's Lily? Ethic asked, referring to his nanny. The elderly black woman had been a godsend to him, helping to take care of his children and keep his home intact for years after Raven had died. He had allowed Morgan to skip their monthly cemetery visit because he knew visiting would upset her. He hadn't expected her to be gone upon his return. She must have gone home for the night. She's not here either, Bella responded. Relax, Dolce said. Morgan's 17. She'll be a grown woman soon. You can't keep the leash so tight. Lily doesn't need to keep an eye on Morgan. You have to start trusting her to make some decisions for herself. She'll only try harder to pull away from you if you don't. I'm sure she's fine. You put easy down. I'll start dinner. Dolce took the bag from Ethic's hand, but her words did little to soothe him. He ascended the stairs to the castle he called home. The 7,000 square feet of luxury were more for the children than for him. He had spared no expense in getting it built from the ground up. He had purchased it to give them a foundation and to remind them that all his ill deeds in the streets had been for something. He wanted Bella, Easy, and Morgan to be protected behind these walls. But Morgan seemed adamant on playing outside the safety net he had provided. No matter how much he gave her or how far he moved them away from the hood, she always found her way back. It was like the streets called her. As he opened the door to her room, his jaw flexed in impatience as he smelled the remnants of marijuana in the air. He laid his son down in the soft duvet and then pulled his phone from his pocket. So is it her room or their room? And if it's her room, then why are you laying easy down in her room be home in half an hour mo if you're not here i'm putting word out to have you brought home it'll be much less embarrassing if you head home on your own ethic pressed send and swiped his face in exasperation as he blew out a sharp breath he didn't want to be that guy it disappointed him that he had to resort to such strict tactics to get through to morgan but the only way to keep morgan safe was to keep her removed 
He had seen firsthand how the streets of Flint could swallow a girl whole. It had happened with Raven. He couldn't sit back and let the same happen to Morgan. If he had to be uncool in her eyes, so be it. He knew his ways were overprotective, but it was a byproduct of losing Raven. Or was it a result of losing his mother? Or was it a reaction to losing it, period? Did he hold on too tightly out of fear of losing the women he cared for? Ethic didn't know, but at that moment, he didn't care. He lacked patience when it came to her safety, and there was no leniency when it came to that. He just wanted Morgan home, and if she didn't walk through the door in the next half hour, Ethic had no qualms about sending word to the block to retrieve her. The smoke from the cush-filled blunt danced in the air as Morgan grew to the vibration of the speakers that sat behind her. The fact that she couldn't hear the music made her love to dance even more. Other girls danced to the beat in a predictable way, trying too hard to be cute, swaying to the music more for attention than enjoyment. Morgan was completely different. I mean, is she from the de- is she in the deaf culture? Like she can't hear the music. So I'm assuming, I'm really assuming. I'm in a class right now um for, you know, a, a for my major uh and it's discussing deaf culture. So my eyes are open to that kind of the kind of wording now. The way her hips rode the beat was awkwardly beautiful but natural. Even though she didn't seek attention, it came to her effortlessly. She bopped to the beat of her own drum, using the heavy bass that vibrated her chest as her guide, while snapping her finger between the rotations of the blunt that was being passed around. She closed her eyes as the pulsation from the music traveled up her spine. She was in a vibe. Yep. She may not be able to hear the music, but she could feel it. She was standing in a circle full of pretty faces, but she was the only one that shined. Her bohemian chic box braids hung down her back, and the tiny diamond stud in her nose complimented her well. The red scarf she tied Tupac-style around her head put some grit behind her baby face. She tried to draw on her maturity with expensive cosmetics, accentuating her pouty lips with red lipstick. She was Benjamin Atkins' youngest daughter, and although her father had died years ago, his legacy lived on. Because of it, Morgan was royalty. She couldn't help but feel like she was princess by default. None of this shit's for me. This is hers. This love is just residual from Raven. They don't even really know who I am. Morgan felt her best friend, Niche, tap her on the shoulder as she held up a plastic soda bottle filled with purple liquid. Morgan focused on her lips. You on this? She asked. Morgan had gotten used to reading lips. She could spy on an entire conversation from across the room just by paying attention. The things that other people missed, Morgan usually picked up on. Her perception was keener because it had to be. She took the bottle and passed Niche the blunt before lifting it to her lips. She didn't even get to taste the concoction before the bottle was taken from her grasp. She lowered her head, angrily, her eyes shooting daggers until they fell on his. Let's go, shorty doo-wop. Oh my, I haven't heard that one since Sunset Park. Let's go, shorty doo-wop, he said. Messiah stood in front of her, his face crossed in irritation. His icy demeanor made his smooth, dark skin even more attractive. She loved the way his lips curled when he called her that. When he called every pretty girl that. Why is there a comma between every and pretty girl? She has seen him refer to countless girls with that nickname. 
It seemed to be his nickname for the beautiful ones. She was just glad she had made the cut. It was moments like these that Morgan wished she had the confidence to use her voice. She hadn't tried to speak since she was five years old. She still remembered the flush of embarrassment that filled her when her kindergarten classmates had laughed at the way her voice sounded. She hadn't spoken since that day. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been poured into surgeries and therapy to help restore her hearing. Okay, so, since I am in this class and this book just happens to happen at this time, like, this is wild. I want to talk to y'all about cochlear implants and about the deaf culture. First of all, deaf culture, most deaf people, and first of all, deaf culture consider themselves bicultural because they're in the hearing culture and they're also in the deaf culture. And the deaf culture tends to be much more acceptable of them and a much more embracing family than the hearing culture because the hearing culture sees them as having a disability and they want to fix that issue. Um, such as cochlear implants. Cochlear implants are something that I feel you should get consent from the child before you do it. Um, that would give the child a chance to actually embrace uh, their deafness. Uh, because even with cochlear implants, you're still not going to be able to hear 100%. Uh, Thomas Holcomb, one of the um, professors uh, that write in has written books uh, that, that we're reading for the class, uh, talks about how he knows somebody who got a cochlear implant and they still weren't able to hear whispers and things of that nature. Um, so by giving them cochlear implants and really shifting them away from learning ASL, which is different from European sign language, which is different from Australian sign language, like every culture, American sign language, you never really thought about that. Uh, but um, shifting them away from that culture, trying to force them into a hearing culture that they are a part of, is still erasing half of their culture. You know what I'm saying? In uh, Introduction to American Deaf Culture, uh, they would pretty much, I think, classify her as culturally captive, which is an individual who grew up without any knowledge of the deaf community. Uh, perhaps they've been sheltered from the evils of the deaf community by their parents and evils is in quotes because obviously it's not evil um, by their parents in the educational system. As a result, they grew up believing there are no other deaf people like themselves or that no deaf organizations exist to provide support for people like themselves. So I'm hoping I'm wrong while I'm reading this. I hope it gets fleshed out into a larger thing um, or a larger community uh, because quiet is kept. Um, 90% of deaf children are born to hearing parents and never meet another deaf person. Professor Holcomb is five generations of deaf culture. Uh, his kids, him, parents before him, so on and so forth. But it doesn't gen generally happen that frequently uh, where it plays out like that. And I think that um, this book is going to introduce a person who lives in this identity, who lives in this culture without, I, I hope she, I, you know what, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she's going to go ahead and give them uh, the research and the love that they deserve. 
um, instead of just giving her a disability. Um, also, if you have the opportunity to communicate with a deaf person, please don't talk louder when you find out they're deaf. That doesn't help them understand shit. Please don't turn your head when they're reading your lips. And don't have a centerpiece at your table if you invite them to dinner because they are trying to read lips so then they can follow along with the conversation. Yeah. I know. And I apologize for nothing. It's just fucking crazy wild. It's crazy wild that I'm reading this book while I'm in this class. Like they go hand in hand. And now I am interested, not because of ethic, not in the least, but because of Morgan. And I want to see how she is shown throughout this book, how she, what her life is like throughout this book. But yes, um, parents of, uh, hearing parents of deaf children don't tend to want to learn how to do shit, like how to do ASL or walk that path with their children. And so they make the child learn how to talk and then the child talks in a group and the kids who are not being told how to be respectful of differing cultures laugh at them and so they sink into a hole. Anyhow. First her father, then Ethic had poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into surgeries and therapies to help restore her hearing. Innovative, different technologies over the years. They had done all they could to help her, but the fact she couldn't hear herself made her afraid to allow anyone else to hear her speak as well. She didn't want her words to come out jumbled or awkward. She didn't want her tone to sound weird or to highlight her handicap. It's not a handicap. They wouldn't even call it a handicap. Maybe a disability at most, but they would not call it a handicap. And if it is a handicap, then it's a handicap imposed by society because of communication and attitudinal bearers, barriers. Sorry, attitudinal barriers. Literally in that book. Handicap. Yeesh. So instead of saying something flirty to this god of a man in front of her, she rolled her eyes and smirked. She snatched the bottle back and he pointed a stern finger in her face. Don't play with me, he said. All I want to do is play with you, she thought. She handed over the bottle and threw up two fingers to her friends as Messiah led the way out of the party. She knew Ethic had sent him. He had a way of tracking her down that made her feel like she wore a leash. Morgan just wanted to live her own life. She didn't care if she fucked it up as long as she had the freedom to make her own choices. She desperately wanted to fly free. You gonna make a nigga have to body something out here, Messiah said. Got your stomach and shit all out. Why the fuck your short so small, man? You ain't gotta carry it like that. That face is enough to get you all the attention you're begging for. Oh, we're back. If you wanna be looked at as a woman, as a queen, you can't dress like that. You can't dress slutty. Trust me, I'm a man and I know what women should do. But this is the woman writing this. So I don't fucking know. I don't, I don't, I don't know how that works. So he does think I'm pretty, she thought. Morgan didn't miss the insult that accompanied the compliment, but she would accept anything if it was coming from him. If he was passing out baby daddy passes and food stamp cards, I'd be first in line. That thought made her laugh aloud. 
Now I'm funny, huh? Got me up in here pulling you out of clubs and shit. How'd you get in anyway with your young ass? Messiah said, a small smirk playing at the side of his lips. He was too stubborn to reveal a full smile, but the way his mouth tugged upward at one corner was the sexiest thing Morgan had ever seen. She shrugged, knowing he didn't know sign language, so there was no need for her to try to respond good so she does know ASL. Okay, cool. Get in, he said, but she doesn't know she doesn't hang out with any deaf people in that group for her to utilize it. Get in, he said. Messiah was up and coming. After his partner had been murdered in cold blood, Messiah had stepped into a position of power, taking over a cocaine operation that ran half the city. Not only was he moving weight, but he wasn't afraid to lift anything of value that came into town. He often sought guidance from Ethic. She would catch him at Ethic's body shop, sitting for hours, as they read the Wall Street Journal and Ethic taught Messiah about stocks and bonds. She had seen him around town with different women, but none of them seemed to stick around for long. She was just waiting to turn 18 so she could shoot her shot. He could have his pick of any woman in the city. He's not checking for me, she thought. Pretty girl, he said as he snapped his fingers to jolt her out of a reverie. Quit daydreaming and get in. I gotta shoot you all the way out to Grand Blanc before I go handle this business, he said. Snapping your fingers at her, does that really... Like, we don't confirm that she has cochlear implants, so... And she couldn't hear the music. So would she hear you snapping your fingers or were you snapping your fingers in her face to get her attention? Which is fucking disrespectful. Hey, 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 look at me. I always say, would you want somebody to do that to you? If not, then don't do it to somebody else. She nodded as he opened the door for her and she stumbled into the car. She knew if she walked into Ethics' house drunk and high, he would overreact and she sighed at the thought of the argument that was to come. He thinks he's my father, Morgan thought. When Messiah slid into the driver's seat, she turned towards him. Can you at least give me a few hours to sober up? She signed. She could see the confusion on his face, but he was too polite to ask what she was trying to say. She grabbed his phone from the cup holder of the Range Rover and called herself so his number would pop up on her screen. She denied the call and then opened the text message. Yeah, this is kind of accurate. This is what uh, most deaf culture, most of the folks who are deaf, because there's a difference between deaf and deaf culture. Deaf culture has a capital D, uh, and it indicates the culture of the community of people who are living, thriving within this culture. And then there's deaf people who are deaf. Although they're working to just eliminate the, the lowercase d period because they don't want there to be a divide between the two. Um, but yeah, deaf people who are amongst hearing folks who don't know sign language are resigned to using text messaging because they don't know sign language. I'm going to be real with you. I don't know sign language. But that's because I, I don't know any deaf people. I didn't even want to start learning sign language until I wanted to become a teacher. And then I realized how many children are living alone in most of their world because they can't be involved in the communications that are happening at school and at basketball practice and whatever else because they can't speak and the kids can't sign so there's this divide 
You can't have a phone on the basketball court to text what you want to say. You know what I'm saying? If I walk into the house like this, ethic will kill me. Can we go somewhere for like an hour so I can sober up? He read the text inside before swiping a hand over his full beard. Yeah, I he said as he put the car in drive and maneuvered his way through the crowded parking lot. Morgan rolled down her window. She didn't mind all the gawking women looking at her in shock as she rode shotgun next to Messiah. Messiah? Midnight. Messiah? Midnight. I'm just saying. All his groupies were present, and she knew leaving the club with him would cause nothing but speculation. I'm not a catch, shorty. You brag about the good boys. I'm the type you keep a secret, he said, honestly. If only you knew, Morgan thought, as she bit her bottom lip. She felt privileged just to have her hips spreading in those buttery leather seats. So, he's facing forward talking, and I'm going to have to talk with my professor about this, but he's facing forward talking, and she's looking to the side, looking at his lips, reading his lips. Is that possible when you're looking at the side of their mouth? They rode through the city, and Morgan wondered if Messiah was just as comfortable in the silence as she was. Silence was all that existed for her, but she hoped it wasn't awkward for him. They pulled up to Stepping Stone Falls, and a knot formed in her stomach. She hadn't been to the nature reserve since her father had been killed. She used to love to see the water cascade down the waterfalls as she sat on her father's shoulders. It was our thing, she thought, sadly, as she closed her eyes. I used to be able to see his face. I can barely remember his smile anymore. She had gone somber, and now she just wanted to go home. The interior lights came on as she watched Messiah exit the car. He dipped his head down and said, I'll be right back. Stay in the car. She looked in the side mirror and noticed another car pulling up behind them. Her eyes were glued to that mirror as she watched Messiah greet another man. She knew the deal and tore her eyes from the scene because his business was his business. She respected his privacy. When he got back in the car, he tossed a black, comma, duffel bag in her lap. He tossed a black duffel bag in her lap. Like, why bad, comma, bad, comma, bad, comma? Count up for me, he asked. She nodded and unzipped the bag to see that it was full of different denominations of bills inside. She focused in as she organized and counted the money. Fifty bands, she signed. He was lost, and she smiled, picking up her phone to text a message to him. He looked up from his phone and then mimicked her hand movements. This is how you say fifty thousand? he asked. She nodded. How did you lose your hearing? he asked. You ain't got to answer, but always wondered. He always wondered. Does that mean he thinks about me? She thought. I was born deaf. My sister was born perfect and I was born like this. I used to hate it. Now I'm kind of grateful that I could drown out the noise. The world is filled with too much bullshit. So I, I guess that might be how somebody who has never been a part of the deaf culture would think about her situation I guess like if I was born black in a place where 
adopted by, say, Angela Jolie and Brad Pitt, and there was no black folks around me ever, and the white folks wanted me to dance and do all these things, and and I never felt like I was a part of the actual culture, and I was adopted, and my sister was born, and she was adopted by black folks, so she was able to have a different idea than me. I would probably say that their life was perfect and mine was shitty. Even though, you know, I'd probably be the rich one because Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt are fucking rich. So I can see that. Okay. He read the text and nodded. Real shit. Sometimes I wish I could block out the world too. That's what Ethic is trying to do. Keep the bad shit from you. Why are you out here chasing trouble? Your trouble? She signed. He mimicked her body language, moving his hands in the same way trouble she mouthed yeah i'm trouble he confirmed she was addicted to the way his full lips moved when he spoke she felt her body react as a pulse started in her panties and traveled through her body making her shudder i don't think so she signed he shook his head as he gave a rare smile understanding that one he quickly corrected himself and the smile disappeared she had already witnessed it though committing it to memory instantly. Morgan pointed out the window towards the falls and then popped open the door before he could protest. She stood in front of his car, headlights shining around her as she bent her finger, beckoning him to come to her. The fact that he didn't come right away made her want him more. He wasn't a puppet to anyone. He didn't follow orders. He gave them and he made her wait as he contemplated whether he wanted to join her or not. She held her hands up in a pleading motion and then pouted. He didn't budge, so she removed her shirt and dropped it on the ground as she stepped out of the light and into the darkness to cover the rest of the reserve. How old is this guy? Like, okay, okay, he's not the one uh, provocating this whole thing. He's not the one pushing it forward. I hope he doesn't pursue her, but then he has to pursue her because it's her job, it's, it's his job rather, to keep her safe. But she's stripping off clothing, and she's 17, and did it say how old he was? It doesn't say how old he is, but he calls her young ass, so I'm thinking 18 to 19, maybe 20. Any way you look at it, dude, danger. Seriously, be real cautious in the way this continues. Morgan shed a piece of clothing with every few steps she took, leaving a trail for him to find her when he finally decided to join her. She stepped into the water, gasping at how cold it was this time of the year. She eased into the water, her nipples hardening under the fabric of her bra she shivered. Now it's going to take even more than an hour for you to sober up or to get home because now you got to dry out in cold-ass Flint, Michigan. He didn't bring no towels and you out there in your bra and panties in the water to tell a cold, you lucky you ain't getting hypothermia. It was exhilarating, the bite of the cold water against her skin. It made her feel alive. The reflection of the moon shone over the water and Morgan got lost in the beauty of the night. When she turned back to shore, she was waist deep. She saw Messiah standing on the beach, holding her clothes in his hands. His arms were outstretched in perplexity. She was glad she couldn't hear, because if she could, she knew he would be calling for her to come back. He'll be trying to toss some sense into her, and she just wanted to blow free like the wishweed she used to pull when she was a kid. You mean dandelion seeds? Wishweeds? That's what we're calling them? Wishweeds? Hey, if you're in 
the Midwest. If you're in Michigan, do y'all call them wish weeds? Like, honestly, I know y'all niggas call soda pop. I know that. I know that. It's fucking weird. I know in Georgia they call all soda cola. It's fucking weird. But do y'all call dandelion seeds wish weeds? Please let me know. She turned her back to him and stared at the moon, transfixed, until she felt the ripples of the water change patterns, letting her know someone else had gotten in. You're crazy as shit, Messiah said. She saw his lips moving, but there was too much space between them, and his skin mixed with the dark night made it impossible for her to tell what was spoken. She moved closer to him, and he tensed. His shoulder-length dreads were pulled back off his face as he stared down at her. It's time I take you home. She shook her head. She reached up to touch his face, but he caught her wrist. Her heart raced just from the fact that he was touching her. She took his hand and placed it on her chest. Her weighted breaths caused her chest to heave. She wanted him to feel her heartbeat. He looked at her, drawn into her uniqueness, into her freeness. She was like a fire, silent in her destruction and uncontainable. Messiah was walking a fine line. Ethic was a man he respected, and he didn't want conflict, yet still, he couldn't pull away. She reached out and put her hand on his tattoo-covered chest. He was like a mural of ink, and she secretly wondered what each one meant. He kept his cool, and his face was unmoved, but he couldn't hide the beat she felt through his strong chest. She closed a little space that remained between them and hopped up around his waist. Her legs circled his back, and her arms went behind his neck as he held her up with one arm around her back. We gotta go, he whispered. His strong body was tense, cautious. He pulled her hand as he began to step towards the shore. She pulled back. Almost instantly, his strong arm was around her waist, pulling her into him. She shook her head, declining his request to leave. He closed his eyes and rested his forehead against hers before pulling away abruptly. Just like that, their connection was broken. She sighed as she followed him towards dry land. He bent down to put on his clothes and then turned away to give her some privacy as she stepped into her own. Good job, Messiah. He had to get her out of proximity before something happened that he would regret. Morgan was a beautiful girl, but she was young, jailbait, and at 17, she wasn't ready for what he offered at 25. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely no. This, yeah, good job, Messiah. Thank you so much. Uh, God bless you. Good night. He was in the streets heavy, with no intention of slowing down. Messing with Morgan would be a direct violation of ethic. He was lucky to have ethics counsel at all. Messiah didn't burn that bridge. Not over pussy, no matter how pretty it was. Men wanted to conquer Morgan simply because of who she was. And he didn't want that. He didn't want to prey on her for her namesake. It just could not happen between them. He wasn't in the young girls. His conscience and who he was as the man would not allow it. Thank God. Okay. Thank you, Ashley. I appreciate that. Again, written by a lady. I appreciate that. Because a lot of... A lot of authors wouldn't have made it as clear as that. That he wasn't in the young girls. That he didn't find this attractive that this wasn't what he was looking for they would have been like oh yeah she cute but uh because of the respect for the game he couldn't nothing about her being a young girl it would have just been because of the respect for the game and for for ethic he couldn't do it and then later on they secretly fall in love with that said 
I do hope that they continue a storyline for Morgan from the deaf culture aspect. Messiah ain't got to be involved in it at all. Like, no. But her, yes, definitely. Like, I hope we hear more about her than we do about ethic. I would love to have a book on Morgan. Ashley? Okay. All right. You know? Okay. Morgan walked past him, filled with embarrassment and feeling foolish that he had turned her down. She climbed inside the car and turned towards the window as he entered as well. This time, the silence was loud as they avoided conversation the entire way. Morgan couldn't get out the car fast enough. As soon as Messiah pulled into the driveway, Morgan bolted from the car, slamming the door so hard that Messiah cringed. He climbed out of the car and followed her into the house. By the time he caught up to her, Ethic had her frozen in sight. Morgan was in tears and Messiah's stomach twisted, knowing that she was crying because of his rejection. Are you hurt? Ethic asked. She shook her head. Are you high? Ethic grilled. Normally when Ethic asked a question, he already knew the answer, so Morgan knew better than a lie. Under his intense stare, Morgan shrank. She didn't want to lie to him, so she opted for silence, looking off to the side as her eyes watered. It was in these moments when Ethic reminded her so much of her father that she felt the saddest. He shouldn't have to discipline her. She should have parents for that, but her father had been gunned down by the police years ago on a Sunday morning. On a day that belonged to the Lord, the devil had come and snatched the foundation of her family away. She remembered it, like it was yesterday, and it still hurt. Now, Ethic was left playing the paternal role. Shouldn't be a common between now and Ethic. It should be now Ethic was left playing the paternal role. Although she loved him, it wasn't the same. Morgan could see the disappointment in Ethic's eyes, and for a moment, it felt like she was sitting in front of the late, great Benjamin Atkins himself. Ethic was cut from the same cloth as her late father. Go upstairs, Morgan. Sleep it off. We'll talk about everything in the morning, Ethic said. Morgan nodded and then retreated up the stairs. Messiah wanted her to look back at him, just so he could look her in the eyes one more time, but she didn't. I appreciate you going to get her, homie, Ethic said as he pulled out a knot of $100 bills. Come on now, put that up. We don't count favors. Anytime, OG, it's nothing, Messiah said. He slapped hands and embraced Ethic before breaking out. He didn't want to leave things as they were, but it really wasn't his place to fix Morgan. She had been broken way before Messiah came along, so he'll let sleeping dogs lie. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify, it takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. Um, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or on buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the good pods app you can leave a tip in the tip jar thank you so much for listening I greatly appreciate it I'm like I said I'm really interested to see how they handle Morgan I'm not interested in nothing else in this book I'm not like but Morgan yeah, we gonna see. Like, this book coupled with my classes is going to make me hit a whole nother level of just immersion into this. So, 
I know my wife didn't mean to do that shit, though. She didn't even know. I wasn't in the class when she started talking about this. I hadn't even signed up for the class yet. And I don't know. She got the Morgan in eight pages. But this is my wife's fault. And I'm grateful, I guess, for now. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast.